and grab a seat. It really is wonderful to be with you, Overlake. I love being in this journey with you. I love worshiping Jesus with you. Uh, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. You'll see we're in the middle of a series called The Power of Bring. And on the cover of the handout, it's Shazam. And we're very, very excited about that. You'll notice on that, uh, if you grab your notes out of there, you'll see that there is a passage we're going to unpack from the book of John, chapter 1. So you're welcome to follow along on that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to, to the book of John, and, and you can follow along from your own text as well. I want to jump in with a story. When I was a junior in high school, my buddy Robbie Adams invited me to come with him to a U2 concert. It was the Joshua Tree concert, 1987. I love U2, as all God's people do. And it was so amazing that he would extend this invitation for me to go to the concert with him. And at the time, and I can't even remember sort of what month it was or what I had going on, I, I had valid reasons. I can't even think of a single one now, but I told him no. No, thank you. I know. I'm getting booze from the front. Now, he went to the show, and he comes back to school the next day, and he is on fire. He's just absolutely glowing. He, he's like, that was the best show of my life. It was the best night of my life. I met God last night, uh, and he was just on fire. So he had talked to his dad and convinced him to buy two more tickets to that night's show, and he wanted me to come with him. So, so this is an example of perseverance, right? We talked about this last week. He's continuing to persevere. He wants to bring my, invite me into this place that brings him so much life. And, and I thought it was just incredibly redemptive that I had an opportunity to say yes where I had once said no. I told him no again. Oh, yeah. I was a teenage douche. I... I, I I was the dumb head, and he was golden, and, and so Robbie, if you're watching now, I repent. I am so sorry. I don't even know what was going on, but I'm so sorry that I said no, and, and, and some of you have been tracking this. You know that last year, you 2 actually came through on one of their tours. They actually did the Joshua Tree tour last year. Well, I wasn't going to miss it this time. So I took my wife, and we ended up going to that show, and we spent the kids' college fund, but it was worth it. It was worth it. Incredible redemption there. And, and the reason why I start with this story, a true story, is because I want you to understand that, that there is this power in bringing others along, right? There's a power of extending invitation, but there is also a reality that some people will say no to something, even the things that will bring them life, even the things that they actually do want to be a part of. I saw this meme floating around this week. It says, I need more friends who understand that I want to be invited, but I'm not going. <laughs> now, as we talk about the power of bring, and as we get into this concept, I want you to understand that it's deeper than just convincing you to bring your friends to church Although I want to be really, really frank with you. You're a part of a great church. 
I love this church. God has done such an amazing thing here at Overlake, and I, I, I just am so proud of you, Overlake. So this is a great church, but that's not the point. The point is to challenge the church to bring people to Jesus. That's the point. That's what we're going after in all this. And that's what the passage of scripture that we're going to unpack is about. So if you're in John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 35. It says, the following day, John, now this is referring to John the Baptist, John the baptizer. This is not one of Jesus' disciples, John. This is John who came before Jesus and began his ministry of, of preparing the way for Jesus. So that's who we're referencing here. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. It brings us to the first truth, if you're filling in the blanks, and that is this. Sometimes all it takes is to point somebody to Jesus. Sometimes that's all it takes, because that's what John the baptizer does, right? He, he sees Jesus. He says, look, there is the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God and two of his disciples, one of whom is named Andrew, end up going and following Jesus. And, and sometimes that's all it takes. I have a friend who's in ministry today. I served with him for several years the story of how he became a Jesus follower is early on in his life, when, when he was a younger man, he really felt like he needed to find a deeper truth, right? He was kind of interested about trying to land someplace spiritually. He didn't grow up in the church, didn't know a whole lot about Jesus, but he just knew there was some deeper truth or deeper meaning, and he was trying to figure it out. Well, one day, somebody calls him on the phone, and it turns out to be a wrong number, so as he's on the phone with them, he says, no, I'm sorry, they, they don't live here. And, and so the other person on the line says, well, hey, thank you for letting me know. God bless you. And hung up the phone. And just that little, you know, sort of the benediction of God bless you, it just reverberated around. And, and later that day, he's driving. He gets stuck in traffic. And the car that he's stuck in traffic behind has one of those bumper stickers on it that points to Jesus. It says something like, Jesus is the answer, or, or you matter to God, something like that. And so he's sitting there in traffic, and he's thinking about this truth, and he's thinking about what he just heard on the phone from somebody he didn't know, God bless you, and he turns to his right, and he sees that he's kind of stuck right by this beautiful cathedral, and the clouds part, and the sun comes down, and he says, God, are you trying to tell me something? And that begins his spiritual journey. Uh, many years ago, I think it was the early 80s, th there was a guy who was somewhat popular around America, in stadiums all around America. It was the John 316 guy. And, and he would just show up and he'd hold up this banner that said John 316. He got kind of famous for a while. He had this Afro rainbow wig that he would wear and my buddy is a pastor at Kauai Christian Fellowship, Rick, and Pastor Rick was actually talking to his staff in a training once, and he was talking about that kind of evangelism, but he was sort of gently mocking it a little bit. He, he was saying that that kind of like, it's like shotgun evangelism. You're just like shooting out something, and you hope that something sticks, and he said, no, nah, there's a better way to go, and, and so he was talking to his staff about that. 
when another one of his pastors on staff, Pastor Dane, raised his hand and said, hold on a sec, Rick. The reason why I'm a Jesus follower today is because of that guy. He said, no, it's really true. He goes, early 80s, me and my buddies were partying one afternoon and the football game was on. And we saw that John 3.16 sign on the screen and we got into an argument, my buddies and I, because none of us knew what it meant. And one of the guys that I was with said, I think it's from the Bible. So we rummaged around until we found a Bible. We opened it up to the table of contents. And sure enough, John was one of the things in there. So we turned to the book of John, and then we found that there was a chapter 3, and we scrolled there. We found a verse 16, and so we read it, and I was like, dude. (laughs) And that started my spiritual journey with Jesus. Yeah, it's just one of those things where you recognize that sometimes all it takes is to point somebody to Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is the end of our bringvitation journey. It's more like step one, right? It's the first step in order to point people to Jesus. And we recognize that the spiritual journey that each one of us on is made up of single, simple steps along a, a, a journey with Jesus. In fact, as a staff, we have committed together to saying what we do, this is our commitment as a staff, is we help people grow in, uh, we help people grow one step closer in their relationship with Jesus in everything we do. So whether it's with our nursery, our kid town, whether it's student ministries, young adults, whether safe parking, it's our community ministries, it's here at church, we're simply helping to if one step closer, right, glow, grow one step closer in relationship with Jesus because it's powerful and all of us can take one step. Amen. Now, it's infinitely better to point people to Jesus than it is to point people away from Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. And how do we see others, you know, point people away from Jesus? And, and th- th- this is fairly intuitive. We treat people poorly. That's pointing them away from Jesus. We think we're better than them. We lose our patience. We act entitled. We exhibit pride or judgment or condemnation, exhibit spiritual abuse or racism or legalism. Any of these ways are ways that we simply point people away from the beauty and the love that is Jesus Christ. How is it that we point people to Jesus? Well, it's also somewhat intuitive. It's with our gracious and forgiving attitudes. We treat people with dignity. We pray over our friends. We encourage. We care. We share things that bring us life. Uh, Share things from the scripture. Share things like uplifting or encouraging messages with those we care about. And I would tell you, we can point people to Jesus at any point in our lives. No matter what we're facing, what challenges, what trials, whatever's going on, we can always point people to Jesus. You might be familiar with a person named Bethany Hamilton. Bethany Hamilton was about 13 years old. She was surfing off the coast of Kauai, which is where she lives, and a tiger shark came and took her arm one morning. Now, since that time, Bethany Hamilton has inspired hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world with the, who, are, who are facing challenges in their own life, who are facing especially physical challenges. She was voted world's bravest teenager. 
She has since gone on. She continues her surfing career with one arm, and she actually was at one time ranked the second best female surfer on the globe. And in all of this, she has continued to follow Jesus. This is uh, one of the things that she says. She says, God knew I could handle it, and my story is just one more way I can point people to him. And that's the power of signs, is it not? Signs point somewhere. They point forward. And, And the significance of the sign is not in the sign itself, but in what it's bringing attention to. So the power of signs, for example, road signs that points ahead or trail signs that you might see, even billboard signs that you might drive by. Talk about something that you can check out. And of course, all of scripture is filled with signs, right? We recognize that the wonder of creation is a sign itself that points to our beautifully creative God. We recognize that all the law and the prophets point to a God who fulfills his promises. We realize that the entire New Testament points to the primary fulfillment of God's promise, Messiah, the person of Jesus Christ. We recognize that all of our lives can point to the beauty and the grace and the wonder and the goodness of Jesus' love in us, right? the, the power of signs. And, and so what's the personal challenge that I want to bring to you today? The personal challenge is really, really simple. This week, I want to challenge you to be a sign pointing to Jesus in some way. And if, and if you don't know how that might ha- happen, let me just give you one very practical and very doable step for all of us to take. And here it is. That in the next seven days, you would let another living human being know that you go to church. The greatest secret in some of your lives, I know but that you would actually let it drop in conversation, that you would actually let it come out that you and your family participate in church. And it might just be like this. Somebody asks you, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And you say, well, you know what? After church, I think we'll watch some of the football games that are on. Or you might say, you know, we love to hit the slopes over the weekend, but because we have church on Sunday, we hit the slopes on Saturday. That actually is a great idea for some of you that like to hit the slopes, like, come to church on Sunday. It'd be great. Okay. (laughs) But just let it drop, right? And as you let it drop, no, that's, you're just taking one step. You're just pointing a little bit. Like, like John the Baptist, look, right? There's something. Look, there's the Lamb of God, right? You're just, you're just pointing that this is important to me. This is valuable to me. And you're, and you're just a signpost there. Well, that's what John the Baptist does. And then two disciples leave him and they go and they, they kind of start following Jesus. They're just kind of trailing along after him. And we're going to find out that one of those two disciples is named Andrew. But let's pick up the story here in verse 38. Jesus looked around and he saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. 
brings us to the next fill-in, which is this. Jesus delights in bringing us to himself. He delights in bringing us to himself. And as you look at that passage, you might think that the question they ask Jesus is a little bit weird. Rabbi, where are you staying? We probably wouldn't ask that question, but what's really going on in that exchange is, you know, Jesus, what are you up to right now? Is it possible for us to hang out with you? Can we come along with you in this moment? And to that question, Jesus intuits exactly what they want. He says, come. Come and see where we're staying. Come and be with me. And by the way, this is always Jesus' invitation. It's always come, follow me. Come and see what's going on. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus always delights in bringing us to himself. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say where I'm staying is none of your business, right? He says, come and see. He doesn't say, hang tight. I'm coming back here tomorrow. That's my work hours. No, he says, come and see. He doesn't say, turn in your applications for followership by Passover, and I'll examine and see if you're worth it. No, he says, come and see. Friends, I want you to understand that a life lived for Jesus is a good thing. But a life lived with Jesus is infinitely better. This is his invitation to us. This is what he is constantly inviting us into. A life of abundance with him now. A life of eternity with him forever. That's the invitation that Jesus offers. We just finished celebrating Christmas. What is the major point? The overarching point of the Christmas season is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus wants that relationship. That's the invitation. He delights in bringing us to himself. And then this next truth, the recognition is that Andrew is the first bringviter in the scriptures. He's the first bringviter in the gospels. That, that with Jesus, this is the first example of bringvitation we see. Somebody bringing somebody else to Jesus. Let's start in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We've found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. If you look at that passage, you can see that the, the story of Andrew really can be summed up in verse 42, which says, then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. You might want to circle or underline that phrase. That's powerful. Andrew brought Simon. And instantly, Jesus knew Simon, right? He, he saw him, and he saw his potential, and he saw what kind of kingdom possibility there was in, in, in this person. And so he gives him a new name, right? Uh, Cephas, which means Peter, and this, in the, in the Greek, it means rock. He, he's going to be the rock. And some of you know the, the play on words that Jesus is going to use even later, which says, on this rock, I will build my church. Right, so instantly he sees something powerful, you know, the potential in Peter. But I want to turn it for a second and ask you to think about your spiritual journey. 
Who was it that brought you to Jesus? Who was it over the course of your whole life that planted seeds? Who pointed you that direction? Maybe it was your parents pointed you that direction. Maybe it was a spouse who brought you along to meet Jesus. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a youth pastor. I want you to think about who it was that brought you to meet Jesus. And then my personal challenge is this week, would you tell them thank you? Would you reach out to them, maybe drop them a card, maybe you send them an email, give them a call, let them know how grateful you are. The chances are pretty good they don't even know that they played that role in your life. So please thank them. Express gratitude for them in bringing you to meet Jesus. And by the way, this is the contrast between a bunker church and a Jesus church. Okay, the bunker church, not Overlake, that's the church that likes to gather together, huddle up in a bunker, you know, a basement, 24 feet below the surface of, you know, the life. And, and, and everybody outside of the bunker is dangerous and the world is going to hell in a handbasket. So we got to get together and we got to protect ourselves. We got to circle the wagons. We got to make sure that we're taking care of our needs. And, and those guys are the baddie bads and we're, you know, the goody goods. So let's hold hands and sing kumbaya and wait till Jesus comes. That's the bunker church, not Overlake. Jesus church, on the other hand, is the the recognition that Jesus has pursued us and Jesus has graced us and Jesus has saved us and he has poured his love into our lives and so everyone we meet needs to hear the same message that Jesus loves them and that Jesus is pursuing them and that Jesus has died for them and that Jesus is gracing them and, and it's all about Jesus loves you and, and that's true for every single person you will ever, ever meet. There's nobody that is outside of the parameters of Jesus' love for them. And that's the kind of church that Overlake is, right? And so we want to make sure that we continue to communicate that Jesus loves them. And I know that this is a posture. This is a, an emotional posture that we need to get into as followers of Jesus. And some of you are there. It's actually been one of my, my great joys throughout the years. I've been at Overlake for 14 years, and I can think of several dozen times over that span where you get it, and, and you have, you know, really prayed for somebody who's important to you. You've invited them maybe once or twice, and, and then finally they've said yes, and they have come with you to church on a Sunday morning. And it's just so wonderful because there have been, like I said, a few dozen times when you'll grab me before the service and you'll say something like this to me. Oh, Pastor Mike, I just have to let you know my boss is here. I've been praying for her for so long and I've been inviting her. Finally, she said yes. She's here today with her family. And I know what you're really saying to me. You're saying, Pastor, don't blow it. Pastor, today, be funny. Uh, you know, today, don't be boring. Right? Today, please, please, you know, don't go long. Uh, today, today, don't talk about money, you know, whatever it is. 
I, I, like I, get, I get the translation, and it's okay with me. It actually brings me joy because you are in a beautiful place in that moment. Amen. right? When you're sitting next to somebody you care deeply about, when you're sitting next to somebody that you have prayed over and you've tried to invest spiritually into their lives and you've brought them with you into this, this context, you care deeply. It's like in that moment you actually have the heart of Jesus for them. Amen. And it's beautiful. right? I love that. And, and, and friends, I just want you to understand that's what we need to get all the time. Because in that moment you realize that church on that Sunday, it's really not about you, is it? Exactly. It's about them. And so all your prayers for them, and, and you're just lifting them up, and you're, you're, just, you're recognizing the, the, the meaning of every song that's sung, and you're hoping that they do too. And, and every passage of Scripture that we talk about, you're hoping that they open their hearts, and, 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 and you're just praying that the Holy Spirit moves, because you love them, Amen. and so does Jesus. Amen. And I do want you to understand, friends, that at Overlake, that is our heart. For me as a lead pastor, all of our pastors on our team, it's why we have creative team. We get together two or three times over the week to pray over and plan our services. We don't just shoot from the hip. We want to invite the spirits leading all along the way because we care about your friends and your family members and your bosses, your coworkers. Absolutely. The second thing I want you to know, be very, very clear about is we also recognize that in church world, all we can do is set the table. The heavy lifting spiritually is done by Jesus himself. It's always the Holy Spirit of God that moves and transforms lives. It's not any one person's uh, ability. Never is, never has been, never will be. It's always Jesus working in hearts. So what we do, and, and this is what you can pray for and help us with, what we do is, is we work hard to prepare the table and to set the table. But Jesus himself is the bread of life. Amen? Amen. And so that's what we're hoping uh, people receive and hearts are open to get. But you just need to see this. People are natural evangelists. We love to share our experiences, positive or negative. I mean, there are whole websites like Yelp and TripAdvisor that are about this. We just, we love to share. And so I, I want to have you do a mental exercise for just a moment. I want you to imagine that your whole life you live in a deserty, dusty, hot, sticky climate. It's just sun beating down on you all the time. And for us in Washington, that's a true mental challenge to think about. But let's pretend. And that's the life you live, and that's all you know. And so every day, you know, it's just sweaty and grimy. And, and then one day, you don't even know how, but you get a little lost, and you travel about a mile outside of where you normally live, and you stumble upon the beach. You didn't even know it was there. You never even knew that you were a mile away from the ocean, but there it is. And, and it's just beauty. It's beautiful white sand and gentle warm water waves and a, a nice trade breeze blowing so that you're not just so baking hot and you're just, you're blown away by the beauty and the, just the incredible, you know, scape of it all. You just can't even believe that this is right in your own backyard. But the problem is you're alone. You're the only person there. So what do you do? The chances are great that the first thing you do is you go back and you find the people in your life that you care most about. 
the people that you love, you find your spouse, you find your parents, you find your kid, whoever it is that you care most about, and you say, hey, come, you gotta come with me. You gotta see this thing. You gotta see that there is a much different, more abundant reality of life. That, that we've been living hot and dusty and sweaty, and let's, let's live this kind of life for a while. And the truth is they could decline the offer. No, thanks. I don't want to come. I'm not interested. And if, if that happened, you would probably invite them again. Hey, you know, I really would love you to come. And they could say, oh, no, thanks. And if they blew you off once or twice, the chances are good that you would maybe ask them to coffee. And you would sit down with them and say, hey, look, I get it. You might not be a beach person. Like, I understand, you, you, there just might be stuff about it that feels intimidating. You don't like sand between your toes, whatever it might be. I, I get it. But can I tell you that it's actually really important to me. It's really important to me that you come and check it out. Because here's the thing. I think I want to live there. Like I, I, I think I want to build my house there. Not on the sand. Only a fool would build on the sand. But, <laughs> but I, on the rock, you know, right above it. I, I, I want to be, I want to make my life like that, and, and I love you, and, and so I, I really, I, I'd love it if you'd come with me and just spend the morning at the beach with me. Now, they could say no again, but if there's a relationship of love, if you love and respect one another, the chances are, even if it's not something they're incredibly interested in, they will come with you because of the relationship. And I want you to see that that's what Andrew does with Peter. Right? Andrew brings Peter along with him to meet Jesus. Why? Because it's important for Andrew. He, he, he has met the Messiah. He, he's convinced he's the Christ. He wants to bring Peter along with him to meet Jesus. And I want you to, to just recognize that. So he meets Jesus. Jesus changes his name in a moment. He speaks potential and life into Peter. You're going to be called the rock, you know. And it, it's just all of a sudden, Peter's world's a little different. I want you to imagine Peter's testimony at the very end of his life. And we don't have this, but I just, this is this kind of a spiritual imagination practice. And imagine at, near the very end of Peter's life, and he stands up with just a few of his friends and, and, and folks that he can influence, and he just starts sharing his testimony. He says, yeah, I, I got a chance to walk with Jesus for three years. I was, I was with him 24-7. It was amazing. He's, I just saw him do amazing things. I, I, saw him, I saw him teach in amazing ways, in ways that, that would go into people's hearts. They would never forget his words. I saw him confront power. I saw him confront the Pharisees. I, I, I saw him turn over the tables and the temple. I, I mean, it was amazing. Not only that, he said, I, I saw miracle after miracle. I saw him heal. I saw lives transformed. I saw a little girl come back to life. Not only that, I, I, got, a I got a chance to walk with him on the water. You heard that story. It's true. I walked with him on the water. Then I sank, but let's forget that. <laughs> and then, of course, the horror of his betrayal and crucifixion. Not only that, but, but I denied him. And I, I got a chance to see him just whipped and brutally beaten. His beard ripped out, his crown of thorns on his head, 
just the blood running down. Got a chance to see him nailed to the cross. I'll never forget those images. And then I saw him raised to new life. I saw him alive. I saw him restored. I saw him, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I saw him in glory. And friends, do you know, he recommissioned me. He, he, you probably didn't hear that story, but he, he came to me and, and three different times he asked me to feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep for the three times that I denied him. And so I did, it, you know, that was the story of my life. And I want to tell you that, that in the years since that experience, I have continued to walk with Jesus. It's been every bit as real and as tangible. And not only that, but I've continued to see him move in miraculous ways. I, I've been able to, to touch people and see them healed. I, I've, I've been able to, to preach Jesus and see lives transformed. And, and not just a few, but, but thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. I got a chance to be the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem for many years. And our church grew. I mean, it was the first megachurch, like, like 100,000 strong. It was just this massive honor of my life. And then Peter would pause and he might say, but I almost missed it. If it wasn't for Andrew. Because Andrew came to me one day and I was fishing. And he said, hey, Peter, you got to come with me. You, you, you got to come and meet Jesus. And I didn't want to. I was busy. And not only that, but Andrew's my brother. and You know, just my brother. It's not like I was, you know, I, I don't hate him, but he's my brother, you know, and there was something about Andrew's intensity that day. There's something about his eyes. There's, there's something about how Andrew was convinced that Jesus was something. And I wanted to see for myself. And I am so glad I did. I'm so thankful for my brother Andrew. You know, Andrew doesn't come up all the time in Scripture. He's not one of the headlining disciples. There are really only two stories where we see him mentioned by name. The first is this one. And the second is when Andrew brings a young boy with some fish and some loaves to meet Jesus. There are two stories in the Bible about Andrew. One, he brings a little boy to meet Jesus. Two, he brings his brother Peter to meet Jesus. What a testimony that the only thing about Andrew that we know is he brings people to Jesus. What if the most important contribution you could ever make to the kingdom of God is who you bring to Jesus? What if bringing your kids into the presence of Jesus? What if that's the most important thing you could ever do for the kingdom? What if, what if bringing your neighbor to meet Jesus? What, what if bringing your, your boss, your coworker? You know, there's a name that's lost to history, but I did read a story once about a young teenager named Billy who was invited to come to a tent revival in the South. And at that tent revival, he met Jesus. Jesus transformed his life. And so he began to follow Jesus, and he started preaching about Jesus. 
And that teenager is now known the world over as Billy Graham. Billy Graham has been able to preach the saving grace of Jesus to a billion people in one single sermon. And this is a powerful force for God's kingdom. And yet, the person who brought him, we don't even know their name. See, I want you to understand, this is a great honor we have to enter into who it is in your world right now that you can bring into the presence of Jesus. So I'm just encouraging you, right, that, that we step into the power of bring. And, and this means that we're friendly. It means that we care. It means that we listen and that we honor. And then when the time is right, we invite and we, and we bring people with us. And it doesn't mean that you, you get totally obnoxious. I'm not asking you to become super aggressive or obnoxious. Uh, please, there's no reason to use social media for this reality. Like, like this is personal. And, and, and I say this with all sincerity. If you are obnoxious, please invite to another church. Okay, just... <laughs> and you don't have to get all weird, you know. If you sneeze and someone says, bless you, you don't say, no, bless you, son of Adam, daughter of Eve, you know. <laughs> That you, you actually are yourself and, and you, you know, you're, you're personable and winsome in those moments. If you're walking your dog and someone says, hey, nice dog. And you're like, you know what? Dog spelled backwards is God. And he too can be your best friend. <laughs> None of that stuff. In fact, if you're filling in the blanks, this is the challenge. That you be yourself, you be caring, and you be bringvitational. Yourself, you're caring, and bringvitational. And there probably are a handful of you here who really do disqualify yourself. You think there's no way God can use you. You think there's no way. You, you think, you know what? But at work, they see that I'm scattered all over the place. There's no way that, that I could be bringvitational there. No way God could use me. Or you're like, in my neighborhood, yeah, people know that my household's like chaotic and there's no way that I, God could use me in that context. Or, or my family, you know, my extended family, they know me. They, they like have always known me and there's just no way God could use me. And if, and if that's you, if you're just disqualifying yourself left and right, then I just want to point you to the actual scriptures. I want to point you back to the Bible where you see story after story after story of the kinds of people that God loves to use. He loves to use all kinds of people with all kinds of issues. And here's just a quick list. Abraham was old. Moses stuttered. Gideon was scared. Noah was drunk. Joseph was a streaker. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was a teenager. Jeremiah was a crier. John ate locusts. Martha was a worrywart. Mary was lazy. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. Samson had long hair. Ehud was left-handed. And Lazarus was dead. So no more excuses, friends. God is waiting to use you. And I do just want to give you this incredible lighthearted hope that you are not the message you're the messenger. The message is God's love and his grace and his overwhelming presence available to you in the person of Jesus Christ. 
and, and Jesus is available for them as well, right? Jesus loves you. You're filled with his love. Now you get to share that love with the people that you love. That is the message. Last thought I want to share with you today is, is that you can never write somebody off. There is nobody in your world who is outside of the scope of the love of Jesus. And at the same time, there is nobody in your world that you can write off saying, oh, that person's too hard. That person will never be a part of God's kingdom. That, that person will never receive the love of Christ. You can't write anybody off. I'll tell you a story of my friend Amanda. When she was in high school, when she was a junior and senior in high school, you would often find her during the lunch hour, she would be out in the parking lot smoking pot with her friends. And it's not because she especially wanted to be that kind of party girl. She actually was a good girl. She cared about her grades. But it was because when she was a junior, she moved to a new school. And the friends that invited her in were the folks who smoked pot. And so she said yes, and she went with them. Again, the power of invitation. When she was a senior, she was in a class with another friend, and this friend was a Jesus follower, and they kind of grew in their friendship. And so about halfway through their senior year, this other friend said, you know, Amanda, how come you never come with me to youth group? And Amanda said, the reason I don't go with you to youth group is you never asked me to go with you to youth group. Nobody ever has, and I'm way too scared to show up by myself. And so this friend said, well, I'm asking you, why don't you come this week? And so Amanda did, and she began to come more regularly, and then she gave her life to Jesus. And then she started going, you know, taking the steps to get into ministry, and she ended up marrying one of my friends who is a pastor, and they have built their entire life and family around introducing other people to Jesus' love. But you see... If she was never asked and never invited, if nobody ever brought her, she never would have met Jesus. So who in your world needs to be brought? Who in your world can you be Andrew to and bring along with you so that you can introduce them to Jesus? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? Just like last week, I want you to spend this moment getting a face in your mind. That you'd spend this moment thinking of a name. Not even a group of people, not, not a bunch of any, just one person. And Jesus, we lift this person up to you now. And we know that you love this person more than we ever could. And so we ask Right now, and, and we're going to ask by name. So just in your prayer, you put their name in. We, we lift this person. We pray for this person. We pray for this person's family. We pray for your love to surround this person. And Jesus, we pray for ourselves that you would give us the courage to be an Andrew in this person's life that you would show us exactly the right words to say, exactly the right context to engage with, and, and, and just show us how you want to lead us as we bring this person into your presence. We pray all of this in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.